and welcome back to Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. I'm Emma. I'm Becky. And I'm Tash. Hello. Hi, ladies. Hi. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Absolutely amazing. Whoop, whoop, whoop. (laughs) (laughs) I think think I'm as good as being an adult gets. Yes. So not great. (laughs) I think... Slowly but surely, I'm coming to realisation that life isn't all rainbows and unicorns. And that is saddening. Yeah, it's more shit and demons, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I think that um, life is actually rarely, whatever you said, unicorns and shit. Because, uh, yeah, it's more shit and demons more than unicorns and rainbows and glitter shits. (laughs) have you ever had a glitter shit (laughs) you can buy pills to make your poo sparkle why would anybody want sparkly poo oh i've just regretted asking that question (laughs) the minute it came out of my mouth i remember making cakes one day and putting so much glitter on them i don't even know why i've got this glitter and then um yeah i had glittery poo so that was fun Oh, so it wasn't for a kinky reason. Uh, no thanks. <laughs> no, listen, I, listen. Sorry, Mama. I've got to say this. I feel like I don't have many limits, but that is, yeah, that's a limit, right? Yeah, we're not shitting on each other. Like, I mean, to each their own. But oh. yeah, yeah. Oh. When Beck said people can make their poo glittery, I did instantly. I mean, I mean think. is that the reason why? Well, I thought it'd be for the people that think their shit don't stink. They'd be like, no, but it sparkles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put that on a t shirt. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I didn't think of that. I just thought of, yeah, the sparkly shit part, but. Ew. Right. Well, I'm obviously a fucking weirdo. Well, didn't want to say. The amount of anxiety that I go through before having to poo in the proximity of like a new partner, I'm not going to go and shit on their on them. If you know what I mean? It took yeah, I know to, exactly like, what you mean. To like be able to poo when my like when I first met my uh, now husband, things were not. I was with out. a guy for two years and did not purposely fart in front of him for two years. <laughs> I mean, I obviously did. You know, like we slept in the same bed and stuff, but I. Certainly didn't do it on purpose. It was like a. I've still never farted in front of my husband. Oh, really? Fart. Oh, I still I fart in front of my husband. I fart more than him. <laughs> and he doesn't fart in front of me either. <gasps> really? You with all the gas? Do you just go outside and deflate? No. So no. Honest to God, I've never farted in front of my husband, and vice versa. I mean, you definitely have, because don't you fart when you sleep? That's probably where they all comes out. They just go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's probably when it happens. Yeah, yeah. So there, deflate a like fact. a little whoopee cushion. I'm astounded. Anyway, moving moving swiftly away from the farts. Yeah. Actually, I, my um, husband said something hilarious to me this week i had to tell you and it's pretty pg so i feel like we can we can talk about it on the podcast i mean not that that's normally an issue yeah we're just literally talking about shitting on other people so yeah but that was that was other people shitting on other people yeah, yeah. True that. we're not talking about us shitting on other people yeah that we don't do mm-hmm. at all absolutely by not. the way each to their own but not me 
No, that's not for me. <laughs> this podcast is quickly changing into something else. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? Um, I don't know if you guys do this. Like, me, me and Ben have always done this. Like, we'll say something completely innocent and normal and the other one will turn it into something dirty i mean literally every single sentence i say but yeah (laughs) but it never makes any sense (laughs) like i'll say can you turn the light on and i'll go turn your light on (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) that kind of thing and we do it all the time uh there will come a time when we won't be able to do it because the kids will cotton on and we'll be completely grossed out but that's the point isn't it that's the point is that you can say things like that and they don't understand oh yeah they haven't got a clue bless their hearts but yeah so this this has always been our game and we do it um all the time and i had a really crappy day on Sunday and was like massive bitch from hell massive strop and obviously I apologized and I said to him oh you know I think everything just got on top of me and I just got really overwhelmed and he (laughs) he goes I'll give you an underwhelming (laughs) that's what you need a good (laughs) underwhelming (laughs) like in a really dirty way. And I was like, darling, I don't want to be underwhelmed. Yeah. I'm going to underwhelm you so hard. <laughs> but it's like, the minute he said it, it was like, oh shit, no, that doesn't sound good. But then he, this is how fucking smooth he is. Like, he was like, no, no, I undersell and then over deliver. <laughs> That's what I want. That's what I want from every single sexual partner from now on. I want them to undersell and I want them to over-deliver. Exactly. Oh, he's such a smoothie. Bless his heart. Oh, he thought of that quick. Well done, Ben. <laughs> well done, yeah. We applaud you for that. Yeah, he um, bounced back from that one. I'm, I'm going to underwhelm you. I'll give you a good <laughs> underwhelming. <laughs> Bless his heart. Oh. So yeah, and uh, his mum listens to this podcast, so that's fun. Hello, Ben's mum. Yeah. Sorry about that. We have two children. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure the the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. Shall we stop talking about sex and. Nope. I mean, (laughs) let's talk about. I've got some great stories in the locker, but. Ah, actually, (laughs) I, I was thinking about this the other day and I thought I wanted to tell you. And this is a great chance to tell you all. I went on a date with a person. No, that's an actual lie. It wasn't a date at all. It was a booty call. Some man came around my house for a booty call. And yeah, who would have thought it? And like, it was fine, whatever. And then um, he went to the bathroom after and I was just like in my lounge or whatever. I I was in my lounge. (laughs) And he walked back through, took an apple, started eating the apple and went, oh yeah, I haven't had dinner. I'm hungry. I was so shocked that he just helped himself to food in my house. That's so rude. Isn't it rude? It's really rude. That would have annoyed me. I was, you know, when you're like, I was like, okay. I feel like that. those are my daughter's apples. Yeah, Fuck literally. Off. So yeah. any single men, women, or anyone out there listening, if you go for a booty call... Don't just help yourself to somebody's apples. Yeah. Just ask. Yeah, I'm going to say, just he'd ask. have been like, oh, do you, do you mind if I 
have an apple. I'm a bit peckish. You'd be like, oh yeah, have two. So underwhelmingly nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't know where that voice came from, but yeah, that came from deep down. (laughs) I thought you were going to tell us about the, um, (laughs) the man that couldn't say the word oh shit well couldn't he oh oh, yeah so yeah i did actually go on a proper date with somebody else we went for dinner (laughs) and we were talking about music in the car and he went to me what's your favorite gene of music i was like (laughs) what do you mean gene and he was like you know a gene of music i was like no i don't know what that means and he went you know like r&b rap like (laughs) pop i went do you mean genre and he was like, no, it's Gene. I was like, how do you want to spell that? And he was like, oh, I don't know, G-E-A-N. I went, well, yeah, that, that is how you spell Gene. But it's actually called a genre of music. He went, yeah, that's just because you speak French. I went, no, 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 that's just a word that everyone knows. <laughs> but that's just because that's the right word, I was mate. so mortified, like instant ick. That and the fact that he wore a string vest, but... Um, no! Yeah, it was it a no from worse. me. He wore a string vest? What, like a netted vest? Like a string vest. Like... Oh, right, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, look at him mansplaining the word genre to you. That's because yeah. you see it with a French accent. <laughs> yeah, there was so much about him that, like, was not... I mean, he was a nice enough person, but just had no aspirations like he was still in his mu- in his box room in his mum's house like oh no apparently they had a three-bedroom house and I was like so why are you not in like the second biggest room he's like oh because my sister come back since she stays sometimes so she still has her room I was like that's weird like you're a 34 year old man like sort your life out mm. and that's when I implemented rules into dating that included can live back at home, but there has to be very specific situations around that. Yeah, like they've left yeah. and had to return. Yeah, yeah, that happens. I get that. Like, but not if you've never I'm left. I'm absolutely fine with that. If you've never left your box room and it's still the same Man United wallpaper that you had when you were oh. 13, yeah, it was a no from me. But the genre is different. Genre or Jean. Jean is yeah, now affectionately known. Uh, was the nail in the coffin that oh. uh, told me I would never see him ever again. Oh, Did you say to him, yeah. oh, well, quest la vie, instead of c'est la vie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Oh, that's awesome. I thought you told us that uh, the other week and I just kept thinking about it and re-cringing, cringing on the behalf of that guy that didn't know that it's cringy. No, it's one of those that's like... Here, when I get a word wrong, I own it. I got the word wrong. And, you know, but yeah. this guy, he was adamant. It's Gene. You're wrong, Tash. Oh, yeah. Like, he's lived his whole life thinking it was that. Yeah. And he will, because you've corrected him, yet he... Didn't believe you. Didn't accept it. Oh, he just thought I was being pretentious. Don't you, the stupidest people are the loudest and yeah. the surest of themselves. But the fucking happiest. <laughs> this is it, though. Ignorance is bliss. He was having a lovely time in his box room at his mum's house. He cooked dinner for him and did his washing every day. Oh, I'm sure he was. Yeah. I'm sure he was. Lovely. And it's going to continue because yeah. he's not going to get a girlfriend anytime soon. Yeah. Um, 
Ignorance is gene. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, I think yes. it's me to start. Let's do this. Girls, yeah. you, you are not ready for this story. Oh, yes, I am. Is- I was born ready. Are you ready? This is fucking Oh, mental. that was a poor attempt of that, Becky. Are you ready? Did you move away from your microphone, though? No, I just did a really live voice. <laughs> <laughs> was that you? I thought it was. Yeah. A- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, did you think I was a man? Okay, okay, here we go. So this week, this is probably the weirdest one I've done so far. So I hope, I hope you're ready for it. So this week, I am talking about a guy called Carl Tanzler. Have you heard of him before? Tanzler. No, Tanzler. I haven't heard of old Carl Tanzler. No. Well, let me tell you all about him. So the information Please, that I used for my episode this week was from Wikipedia, southernmostghost.com, gizmodo.com, lostgirls.home.blog, and the podcast, The Fascinating Nouns. I'm excited Thank for you it. to them. So let's delve into Carl Tanzler. So hold on to your hats because you are in for a wild ride. Um, I don't actually have a hat on. Is that required for the podcast? No, I think I think you'll be okay without one. Okay, because I could put a shoe on my head. (laughs) (laughs) I have a pillow and a spoon handy. Which would you prefer? (laughs) Okay, just hold on to your chairs, all right? Hold on to your chairs. I'm on the floor. (laughs) Oh fuck. Okay, most of this will probably sound made up, but I assure you, to the best of my knowledge, all these events are true and did indeed happen. Oh. So Carl, with a K, was born... Interesting. Yeah. It's it's important. Is he German? Ah, well, there you go. So Carl, with a K, was born George Carl Tanzler in Germany on the 8th of February, 1877. But he went by Carl, so he uses his middle name. This seems to be a theme back in the day that a lot of people went by their middle name. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because, like, people don't really do that anymore, do they? My middle name's just quite plain. Yeah. Yeah. The amount of people that at work, though, that (laughs) use their middle name, and they're nearly all called Tony. Oh, really? Yeah. It must have been, for a certain age group, it must have been cool to be called Tony, so they all use their middle name. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you go. Anyway, that's what this guy's doing, Carl. As far as I can see, the weirdness starts pretty early on with Carl. As around the age of 12, he began being visited by a spirit that he claims was his ancestor, the Countess Anna Constantia von Kossel. Okay. During her visits, she told Carl that he was a count, obviously, because, you know, she's his ancestor. Yeah. So he then began calling himself Count Carl von Kossel. Who can blame him? Well, if someone came up to you and they were all ghosty and said, Tash, yep. you are a queen. Yep. I can see you calling yourself queen. Yeah. I, I'd be silly not to. Queen Tash has quite a ring to it, actually. Yes, yeah, nice, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Well, that's mm. what Carl thought. He thought he had a good ring to it. So he was then known yeah. as Count Carl von Kossel. Count Carl van Kassel. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good, Becky. More of that. More of that. 
So when he retells this story, because he wrote memoirs, so a lot of this story comes from his memoirs. Mm-hmm. When he retells the story, he lived in a castle. As most counts would. Yes, but he absolutely did not live in a castle, ever. Well, you are king of your castle. <laughs> So usually in my stories, I am the true believer in all things spooky and paranormal. In this story, however, I'm calling (laughs) bullshit. As we will see, Carl has a tendency to lie or at least embellish the truth somewhat. Or the other highly likely option is that this guy is just fucking plain mental. Yeah. So he continues to get visits from this ancestor and she shows him a vision of his future wife. Ooh. A beautiful dark-haired lady in a white dress who he falls immediately in love with and he is now convinced that the girl in his visions will be his soulmate. Carl turned out to be somewhat of a traveller and ended up in Australia. Possibly. As I said, he has a tendency to lie. This is just before the First World War. Now, in Australia, he claims that he bought himself an island in the Pacific, as you do. Okay. Just, okay. Yeah. Just go out and buy an island. Yeah. Well, he lives in a castle, right? He's rich. And he's a count. Sure he does. (laughs) And when the war broke out, he was contained in a concentration camp for his own protection, he would say. But really, it was more likely to be because he was a German suspected of being a threat. Yeah. When he bought the island, where, where was he living? Sorry. Was he living in Germany at the time when he apparently... He was in Australia. Australia, okay. Apparently, oh, okay. at this point. Okay. Or, none of the above happened, and he wasn't in Australia, and he didn't buy an island, and he was still in Germany, and he served in the army throughout the war. As a lot of information comes from his own memoirs, who really knows what the Count was up to during the war? After the war, he moved back to Germany, or was already there, and married a lady called Doris Schaefer. And together they had two daughters, Aisha and Clarista. Okay. And they existed? They were real? They were real. Okay. So far, you know, a little bit of oddness, a little bit of embellishing the truth. Could have come in to some money and land might have been cheap in Australia at the time. Yeah. You know, the Great Island sales. <laughs> and we weren't there, so we yeah. don't know. We weren't there. We weren't there. He could have had an island. Who, who are we to say that he didn't? Richard Branson's got an island. Yeah, and he's also a millionaire. Billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that wasn't a very good yeah. argument. So, Tanzler, or Count von Kossel, then moved to Zephyr Hills, Florida, where his sister had already emigrated. His family followed later. Shortly after his family arrived, Carl, now spelt with a C, to sound less German. Yeah. No, it's less German, Tash. Ah, yes. (laughs) Yup. That's it got a job at the U.S. Marine Hospital in Key West in 1927. And once he got this job, he abandoned his family because, after all, Doris was not his dark-haired fantasy girl he'd seen in his visions. Who can blame him? Sakharov, get a divorce. Well, you know, got two kids and stuff. No, they don't get divorced. divorce. He just literally abandons them. Oh, nice. Yeah. 
So to begin with, he's employed as a hospital custodian, which is basically like a janitor, a cleaner. Okay. And he works his way up to radiology technician. So this confused so, me. Hold on. Sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> yes. He started cleaning. Yep. And he works his way through a medical degree up to radiation technician. Radiology technician. Radiology. All right. Yeah. So he's taking x-rays. Yeah. Of people. Yeah. Oh, it's well known amongst okay. the, That's how you get in. That's, I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how you begin with a mop and bucket. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. So this did confuse me because as far as I can tell, Carl has no medical education whatsoever. <laughs> but he does claim to have nine different degrees all in the sciences. Well, you know, once you've got nine, what's the extra one? You may as well just say you've got it. Yeah. You know. He needs to be educated to be a doctor anyway. Well, he might have, you know, he's got nine degrees. One of them might be a medical doctor. No, but he's probably just got a doctorate of something else, hasn't he? My issue was, if he was a doctor, why did they give him a job as a janitor and not just straight up to a radiology technician? Well, quite, yeah. But they gave him a job as a radiology technician, so there must be something to it. But it utterly... Maybe they were just really short-staffed one day, and they were like, hey, do you want to give this a whirl? (laughs) Yeah, all you do is press stand behind this screen, push this button. That's all you do. Because, I mean, I'm no doctor, and I don't really know, but I don't know that um, the people that take the pictures they don't they're not the doctor are they they are just like a technician oh don't i'm assuming they have to have some <laughs> level of medical well, yeah, training so i think i don't think I they don't... just take photos all photos all day and they you've got the people that take the x-rays and then you've got the radiologist who is the one who Looks examines the, yeah. the x-rays oh is it so he was being a radiologist he was a radiology technician so Probably should have found this out. I'm not sure if that means he's examining the x-rays or he's just taking them. But regardless, he's got no medical training. He was sweeping floors three days earlier. Yeah. <laughs> he's got nine degrees, Tash. Yeah. All yeah, in the sciences. Yeah, all the sciences. Fine. All of them. And uh, if he'd have stayed a few more years, he would have been head of surgery. So, yeah. Brain surgeon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're talking 1927, 1928. None of these degrees can be found. And of course, there's no way for anybody to check. You know, it's not like you can Google it. So, yeah, it is what it is. Apparently, it is possible that if he was in the army during the war, that he did gain some knowledge of radiology. Possibly. What, from the army? From the army, yes. I'm not sure how many x-rays they were taking on the field while someone was shooting at your head, but okay. Maybe he was a medic. Yeah, but again, I'm not sure they were walking around with a massive x-ray machine. They're pretty big, and I can imagine back then. But hey, listen, I wouldn't want to discredit this man and his knowledge. I'm sure he... He he, he knew what he was doing. (laughs) Just go with it, Tash. So Carl is many things, as we will see during this story, but stupid isn't one of them. Uh, Now, (laughs) I said he wasn't stupid. Um... I think he's very manipulative and he's very yeah. clever in making people believe stuff. Yeah. 
So I guess it just depends on how you measure intelligence, really. But he yeah. has got nine degrees, so he must be Listen, clever. That's more than me, to be fair. So. so he was, by all accounts, a very well-presented-looking chap, and he had an extremely superior attitude about him. Of course, Count Carl knew everything about anything and was far more intelligent than anybody else. Well, it sounds like it. Absolutely. So another interesting fact about Carl is that he owned a plane. <laughs> well, janitor's wage and uh, even uh, a radiologist yeah. technician's wage, I'm sure couldn't pay for a, a plane. So it's gone too far. He definitely did. A, uh, there are photos, but hang on. You haven't heard the whole story. Okay. So he, he does own a plane, which is random as fuck, but it's the shell of a plane that has no wings at all. And Carl fully intends to fix this up because obviously he, you know, he knows how to fix an aeroplane. Obviously, nine degrees. Yeah. So the plane had no wings, but he had fitted two very large wheels on it, saying that this would enable him to land in water. So again, I'm not an engineer, but I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. So his wingless plane was parked behind the hospital where he worked. Again, <laughs> strange. Okay, yes. so now enter Maria Elena Milagro de Hoyes. Ooh. Maria went by Elena. She was, again, she's going by the middle name. It must have been cool. I don't know. She was of Cuban-American descent and was only 19 at the time this all happens. She was taken to the hospital by her parents after she'd been unwell for a while and had developed a persistent cough. She had, sadly, suffered a miscarriage before becoming sick. She was taken for an x-ray and this is where she met Carl. He couldn't believe his eyes. The woman of his visions had finally arrived. Sadly, though, she was diagnosed with tuberculosis. <gasps> And a particularly harsh strain that acts really fast in killing people. I think I've realised what your story is, but I, I'm not sure. <laughs> Back in the day, obviously, there were no treatments really for tuberculosis, so it was pretty much a death sentence. Yeah, it took years though, didn't it? Well, unless she was already yes, well into yes. it. Yeah. I think this one, she had a fast strain that killed her quicker, mm. but I think it still took like two years. That's why it was called consumption, wasn't it? Because it yeah. consumes you slowly. Yeah. So she's diagnosed with tuberculosis. And upon learning this, her husband, Luis Mesa, left her and moved to Miami. What a twat. Exactly. He was too afraid of catching TB himself. Nice guy. I couldn't understand the whole being afraid to catch it yourself, but I don't know. Probably don't leave your dying wife. I mean, you was married to her, so chances are you'd already caught it anyway. Yeah, probably. Oh, well, I, I don't know what happened to him, but he, he just left. So all Elena's doctors said there was nothing to be done for her and she was basically sent home to die. Oh. Carl, however, tells Elena's family that he thinks he can cure her and free of charge too. The parents were so desperate to have even a little hope that they began letting Carl come to their house to treat Elena. 
He would give Elena all kinds of different potions that he concocted and borrowed hospital equipment to give her radiotherapy and electrotherapy to heal her. Now, none of these, of course, cured tuberculosis. None of that does. (laughs) None of that does, no. The electrotherapy was very painful and poor Elena ended up crying out in pain during these sessions. Where, of course, Carl had to examine her chest at great lengths. That was convenient for him. It was. It was. <laughs> Ugh, I've just shuddered. Um, wasn't his excuse that her lungs were in that general area? Yeah, well, yeah, he was, he was quote marks, checking her lungs while gropey grope. Ugh, piece of shit. Carl showered Elena with gifts and would soon profess his undying love for her. She being well-mannered and of a sweet nature, she kind of just put up with him, but always politely said that he was too old for her. There was a 33 age gap between the two. I mean, that is, I mean, yeah, that's too much, isn't it? To each their own, but that's a lot. And that she was still legally married to her husband. And also, not to be forgotten... You know, she was dying. Yeah. So Carl could just did not take the hint and continued to visit her and try to cure his beloved Elena. Her parents were now growing suspicious of his intentions with their daughter, but every other doctor had given up. So it was Carl or it was nothing. Carl the not doctor. Count Carl the not doctor, not really a count. But he has an island. He's, he does and have nine an island. degrees. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that. I strongly believe that he does have an island somewhere. Yeah, I can tell you believe the island. (laughs) (laughs) So after seeing Elena decline and Carl still showering her with unwanted attention, the family decided to move without telling the so-called doctor where they were going. Awesome. So do you reckon this put him off? I don't think it did. It didn't. He stalked the neighbourhood until a well-intentioned neighbour told him where the family had moved, thinking he was Elena's physician. So when he found her, she was towards the very end of her life. And he was furious at the family for taking her away from him, blaming them for her deathly state. He once again asked Elena to marry him, and she once again refused, telling him she was dying. She's like, just let me die! Leave me alone! That's so weird, isn't it? So, according to Carl, so again, according to Mr. Truth, yes. Mr. No Lies. Yes. (laughs) She also asked him to look after her body once she was gone. Now, what? (laughs) How would you you start that conversation? Oh, we Look after my body, will you, when, uh, when I pop my clogs? So this, this to me seems like a weird thing for her to say. <laughs> yes. Especially to her, let's call a spade a spade, her stalker, right? <laughs> yes. Her harasser and sexual harasser and everything yeah. else harasser. Yeah. So I'm somewhat dubious to the fact that she actually ever said that. But according to Carl, that's what she said. Yeah, I wonder if she was just like, oh, for fuck's sake. Yes, fine. I'll be dead yeah, anyway. Potentially, yeah. Go, go fuck yourself. Let me die. I think that's a good shout, Bex. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it was that. 
I don't or, know. Or if it was just a complete, obvious, uh, just a complete lie, everything. Uh, I'm leaning towards the uh, bullshit. But is that, did he like shove her parents out of the room? I suppose it might have been a thing back then that if your doctor's there, you have to leave. Oh, you, Carl doesn't give a shit about like manners or anything like that, as we will find out. And um, he does. He's got like zero respect for Elena's family. So Oof. yes, he probably was like, "Fuck off now! I must grope your daughter." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kindly fuck off. <laughs> Do you think he warmed his hands before groping her? Elena, get the tits out. You know, like when a doctor like blows on the stethoscope before they put it on your heart. Yeah. And they're like, oh, it might be a bit chilly. Do you think he was like that? Do you think he was like this? (gasps) (laughs) Hey, my doctor actually does that before he touches my tits. Is that not normal? (laughs) I can just imagine him really breathing on his hands. Is that no. not a normal thing to do? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. My doctor's never felt my boobs. Oh, I get my boobs checked regularly. Yeah, when I have Why? my smear test done, they te- check my boobs. And when it was a man, really? he was literally like... No. Almost like he was playing piano. <laughs> I'd like to say nobody's felt my boobs. Obviously, people have, but not in a I medical sense. I think I felt your boobs at one point. Oh, probably, babe. I'm pretty sure we've all felt each other's boobs at one point. Alcohol man. But do I have an island? No, I don't. (laughs) My doctor's definitely touched my boobs and warmed his hands before he did it. I just thought he was being considerate. Did he blow his hands? (laughs) He did. Did he blow in there? Yeah, but how did he do it? Did he do it like that? Like, (sighs) yeah. (laughs) Well, you mean like on a love actually when. Do you, have you seen that when um you know the the couple that are like fluffers for like a porn film and they yeah. the actors that oh, come yeah. in and he was like yes, oh like what that that? <laughs> like that <laughs> oh all right oh, please please message us and please tell me that's normal because I really like my doctor and I don't want to be I think it probably it is might normal be. Yeah, but... I think it's considerate it's the blowing that kind of got me. <laughs> Um, but it, it's not pa- your doctor isn't pants off, is he? Wasn't there a, a doctor that people, a, a couple off. of people, nicknamed him pants off because you'd go in for anything and he'd be like, "Well, we'll get your pants off." Get your pants off. No, that's not my doctor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pants off. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Do you, you know who I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah I know who you're talking about. Anyway, no, that's not him. Maybe we should have reported him. It was funny back then, whereas now I can see it's very problematic. Yes, indeed. <laughs> the way you just said that was so funny. I'm, I'm pretty sure I went, I had to have a medical. For some reason, before buying a business in France, you have to have a medical to make sure that you're... Like, you have to have a medical for fucking everything. Yeah, so I had to go for a medical to make sure that I was like physically fit to run this particular business that was a pub. And I'm, I went to see Dr. Pants off because it, it had to be a special type of doctor to give you the uh, medical certificate. It couldn't just be any old doctor. And uh, yeah, he had me in my pants. Literally nothing <laughs> else. And I was not expecting it. So what, they tits out? Everything, yep, yeah. Tits out, That's pants weird, off. why? Uh, well, he checked, he checked the boobs, obviously, for... <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't think that's normal, Emma. Was I violated? <laughs> well, I don't want to laugh about it, but I, I, I definitely went for like a medical. You know, like the médecin de travail. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was basically what this was. I can't remember it. I don't think he checked my boobs. I think it was just a gynecologist that checked my boobs. But the for the medical for work, I had to be just in my pants. Yeah, I was. I, this was just in my pants. I had to bend over so no, he could you see. Didn't. Yes. I did. Yeah, I wonder if it's the same. Girls, man. I don't think this is normal. No, 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 no. This was Dr. Pants Off. I wonder if it's... Well, yeah. Well, the guy that I went to see for the médecin de, de travail in, um, before I started work, he got me in my pants. I wasn't ready for this, so I was no, wearing a thong. No, neither was I. I was wearing a thong back in the time, back in the days where I wore thongs more often. He was like, yeah, turn around and bend over. I was like, excuse me. <laughs> Are you going to buy me dinner first? <laughs> they want to check your spine. Yeah. So they want, that's that's what he was doing. He, he wasn't like. This feels very strange to me. He did measure each mole on my body though with a ruler. Oh, I didn't what? get the moles. I mean, listen, it, mu- it must be right, but it feels like it's not. I don't think he checked my boobs for a, for a work um, I just don't thing. understand why any of you were naked. And I, just... I had the same. I had a, a, the same type of medical test in a different part of France when we moved away, and I didn't have to be. I wasn't in my pants. So I definitely went for médecin de travail. Yeah, and I definitely wasn't naked. They like weighed me, measured me, checked my like lung capacity. I can't even remember what else, but I definitely wasn't naked. Well, me and Bex just got lucky, I guess. But yes, anyway, to wrap it up, probably should keep your pants on next time you go see Pants Off. Yeah. (laughs) Um. (laughs) I'm so shocked. (laughs) So, back to Carl and Elena. Weirdly enough, Elena's asked her stalker to look after her body once she dies. Of course. Of course. Carl took this as their wedding vows, and now, in his eyes, they were married. God, fucking hell, Carl. I wonder if he saw an island and was like, that's my island. I own it. (laughs) 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 Oh, dear. Same with the castle, right? You just drove past the castle castle there. That's mine. So after three years of their first meeting, on October 25th, 1931, at the age of 22, Elena passed away from her disease. Oh, 22. I know. So sad. So Carl offered to pay for the funeral as he knew Elena's family was poor and wouldn't be able to offer her the burial that she so deserved. And they accepted. And they buried her the next day. Carl was a huge part of the organisation and once the funeral was over, he announced that he did not like the idea of Elena being in the ground and rotting away with the damp as buried bodies do, so he was going to build her a very fancy mausoleum. 
Right. Yes. He also announced to them that he would be moving in with them and sleeping in Elena's bed. What the fuck, Carl? And as the family were too poor to refuse the $5 a month he was offering, they accepted. Completely taken advantage. Yeah. Carl said the bed still smelt of Elena and he felt so close to her being there. (sighs) This is making me want to shudder. Honestly, I feel a bit sick. So she's buried in the ground. He then started to have the mausoleum built and two months after her initial burial, the funeral director dug up her coffin to re-bed her and put her to rest in the mausoleum. And guess who was with him every step of the way? I think maybe Carl. And guess who paid extra to have access to her in the funeral parlour at night when nobody else was there? So she was in the ground for two months before they dug her up? Yeah. She must be a bit melty and a bit Well, that's why she had to be rebedded so everything was everything was cleaned and all the like maggots and stuff were taken Mm. off her and all the human soup yeah drained yeah and uh and then she was placed back in the the when when was embalming invented was she embalmed well they were embalming back in like ancient (laughs) egypt so oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah but wasn't it it didn't go out of practice for a while and then they brought it back. I don't know. G- a Google for another time. Uh, yeah. So he had full access to her during this whole rebedding process. And before putting her in the mausoleum, he could visit her yeah. as much as he wanted in the funeral parlor. He had the coffin lined with formaldehyde to help preserve the body. What does that mean? That she was like in a swimming pool of formaldehyde or is it like a powder what is it a little less i'm right. oh, sorry i'm sorry no just ignore that question no 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 i think she was like in two caskets and i think maybe the first one was kind of like that of full of formaldehyde, formaldehyde. yeah and then she was in a coffin but i'm not a hundred percent sure on that fact okay thank you anyway. because stories vary anyway Carl has asked the funeral director to do everything he can to help preserve her body. Unbeknown to her family, Carl was the only person to own a key to the mausoleum. And for the next two years, he would visit her gravesite nightly. He said Elena would talk to him and sing to him her favourite song in Spanish that just so happened to be about a guy that dug up the love of his life to take her home and then killed himself beside her. Carl would continue to propose to Elena every night that he visited, and he says that her spirit would speak back to him. Her spirit began asking him, pleading with him, to take her home with him. Yeah, sure she did. And although to begin with, he was hesitant because... You know, grave robbing, bit frowned upon. I bet he was like, oh, stop it, I can't do that, can I? Literally, that's what it sounds like, yeah. Yeah. But one night in 1933, 
he couldn't resist any longer. So he snuck into the mausoleum and stole her casket in a little wagon he was pulling behind him. So he was dressed to the nines for the occasion. And God knows how. But he managed to get her extremely heavy casket over the fence of the cemetery. However, in doing so, some liquid from the coffin oozed out onto his clothes. Oh, Oh, baby, you're so wet. (laughs) (laughs) Becky, no! Oh, please don't put that in. I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) That's definitely staying. (laughs) I died inside. What? (laughs) I could. I came up like word vomit. It was like, don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he must have had help. He must have paid someone. Well, there are theories that he possibly did have help, but as far as I know, he didn't. So according to him, the night he rescued Elena from the cemetery, the other spirits gave them a great romantic send-off, all <laughs> dancing around, happy for the couple. He even said angels were flying around them as he rolled her away. This man is on crack. (laughs) So, because he was living at Elena's parents, remember, he couldn't exactly take her home. So he put her in his wingless aeroplane and then casually returned back to his room at her parents' house, just making sure to walk a longer route so that the smell of rotting body ooze would wear off. Is that ever wearing off? (laughs) I don't think so. And I don't know what Familderhag smells like, but I bet that doesn't smell nice. I don't know either. So his airplane then turned into some kind of laboratory where he would work on Elena's body and in his mind, resurrect her. He thought that if he could restore her body and then get the plane airborne, he would shoot her into space, bringing her back to life. Mate, this man needs sectioning. Fucking hell, Carl. (laughs) I shit you not. And this geezer's written about this. Yeah, this is his. Is he not embarrassed by his. Absolutely not. Fantasy. No, the gall of this man is incredible. So he thought that the radiation would penetrate her tissues and restore life. Well, like his penis. Dash. (laughs) Fuck. So. What gene of radiation do you think he thought would bring her back to life? Understandably, after being dead for two years, Elena's body wasn't looking its best. So Carl got to work. He used coat hanger wires to hold her joints together, bought her a pair of glass eyes as her eyes were now sunken and rotten. He began covering her skin with silk and mortician's wax to help preserve her skin and stuffed her torso with rags to stop it caving in. He made her a wig out of her own hair that had now, of course, begun to fall off and stapled it to her head. Ouch. He dressed... <laughs> well, she's dead, Tash. She's not feeling much. Oh. I still feel it's just complete. It's abuse of a corpse as well. He's just stuffed her chest with rags. Let's not get offended by the staples, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> He dressed her in white and gave her a pair of silk stockings and a pair of gloves. 
He would climb into her coffin with her and kiss her softly on the lips. Ugh. Imagine kissing a two-year-old corpse on the lips. Oh, it's just too much, isn't it? I'll bet he said that she kissed him back. Ooh. <laughs> Honestly, my belly feels like it's flipped over. It's the fact that he's admitting to it all as well. And he just finds it so normal. Yeah. Well, in his mind, she's given him permission. She's asked, she's begged, pleaded with him, take me home, Carl, I just want to be with you. Yeah, this has gone by the whole, oh, she's beautiful and I think she's amazing because, like you say, she must not have looked great after a few months. Well, even after a few weeks. It's And this is years now, this is two years. She yeah. has been dead for two years. So she's pretty... Um... <sighs> Well, I, yeah, I I have seen a picture of what she um I've seen I've seen clips of this story. I've never heard the whole story, but I've seen what she looks like after yeah. he, he does her up a bit. But still, do you want to see Tash? Yes. <laughs> Are you sure? Because you didn't sound convinced. It's just gross, isn't it? It's horrific. <laughs> Them fucking eyebrows. What? So that's her dead. That's a picture of her dead body that he's made That up. he has put wax and silk That's all over. That's fucking weird, isn't it? How are you shagging that? Just get a blow-up doll. Nobody said he's shagging her. Well, ah, uh, there he is. Well, I haven't said that yet. He did make other adjustments to her body that I shall tell you about later. No. I was just assuming if you're going to go and confirm, I'm not having it. <laughs> After a while, Carl moved out of Elena's parents' house and into a small beach house. He took Elena's bed with him when he moved so that his beloved could have her own bed back. So he's just basically stolen a bed from their house. It's fine. Yeah. Imagine how awkward it was, though, when he came in every day, be like, I could just imagine like them stopping them conversations about like, oh, he's back. Eee. Yeah. Ugh. So he also had his airplane moved to his property and apparently it was Elena's brother-in-law who helped him move the plane, towed the plane to the beach house. He had no idea that he was actually towing the plane that held his sister-in-law's coffin. Didn't it stink though? Well, no, because he, Carl did everything for it not to stink. And it's in an aeroplane. He didn't go in the aeroplane. Yeah, I suppose so. I was supposed to be pretty dried out after two yeah. years as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me assuming I don't deal with corpses very often. No. Or at all. So, alone at last, I imagine he thought. <laughs> he moved Elena's corpse into the bed into where the he would sleep. Suite. <laughs> so he moved her corpse into the bed where he would sleep with her every night sometimes he would sit her in a chair to enjoy a meal together and sometimes people claim to have seen him dancing with her body through the windows <sighs> he had to use an extreme amount of perfume on her corpse and formaldehyde to hide the stench of decomposition he was approached by a parent of a child who had mentioned seeing a mannequin in the Count's bed every day. 
Carl just put this down to the kid's overactive imagination, but still asked the parent to stay quiet and bought them a new Ford Model 48 to make sure that they would. Jesus. After a few years, quite a few people were driving around Key West in new Ford Model 48s. Where's he getting all this money from, though? His account, Becky, with an island. (laughs) (laughs) Carl still described these years as the happiest of their lives for both him and Elena. Fuck me. Even though she's fucking dead. Yeah. So during this time, Carl received news that one of his daughters had died from diphtheria. And I'm not 100% sure that that's what she died of, but she did definitely die. But he was so totally obsessed, totally absorbed by his love for Elena, that he didn't even attend the funeral of his own daughter. What great guy. And he didn't send any money to pay for her burial. Because all his money was going on perfume and clothes and jewellery for the corpse. And buying everybody a car to shut them up. And maybe he was still paying off his island. Well, yeah, you know, they're not cheap, are they? I suppose he was renting it out and getting a bit of money from it. Ah, possibly. Possibly. A few tenants in the castle, that would help. Yeah. So this went on for seven years. Seven years. Seven years, until eventually the rumours of the weird count got back to Elena's sister, Florinda. She turned up at Carl's door and asked where her sister was. He merrily chirped back, Elena, your sister is here. Oh, fuck me. Yeah. And proud as punch showed Florinda how he was caring for Elena. How horrific must that have been? Of course, absolutely horrified, Florinda went straight to the authorities and they arrested Carl for wantonly and maliciously destroying a grave and removing a body without authorization. So he was evaluated by a psychiatrist and deemed sane to stand trial. However, I'd like to beg to differ. (laughs) Yes, quite. But the case was dismissed as the statute of limitations had been reached. So, Carl then asked if Elena could be returned to him. Wait a minute, but he's still abusing a corpse. Yeah. How's there a limit there when it's still happening? Right. The theory, wantingly and maliciously destroying a grave, had a statue of limitation on it. I think it was about two years, and that had passed. And then... The removal of the body without an authorization, I think they just let it slide because, of course, this turned into, like, a massive media circus, yeah? Yeah, rightly so. People were actually sympathetic towards Carl. What the fuck? Yeah. They thought he was romantic. What? Who thought that? A lot of people thought I that. I don't, I, I just can't believe that. Is that in his memoirs? I'm not sure, but everything I read was that people thought he was just like a, a quirky, eccentric, romantic, and that it was this love story. She literally ghosted him to get away from him by dying. Yeah. She's the original ghoster. Yeah. And it still didn't work. That he's still in... So, okay. anyway. Yeah. Long story short, he got he gets away with it. And after he's got away with it, 
he has the gall to ask for the body to be returned to him. I mean, what fucking planet is this man living on? I mean, he's brazen. He's got massive ass balls and I'll give him that. Oh, I don't want to think about Carl's balls. (laughs) Have you seen, did you see when you looked at him up on Google to see what he looks like? Yeah. He looks like fucking, if Father Christmas, if Santa went on a keto diet. (laughs) He's dapper, dapper Santa. But also mixed with that fish guy, is it Albert Fish? Oh, kind of looks like that. Oh, just his name just makes me want to throw up. And then a little bit of the Monopoly man. That's what he looks like. <laughs> I bet he did, in fact, own a monocle. I bet he did. I bet he did. So, of course, the body was not returned to him. You would think that finally this poor girl would be able to rest in peace, right? Well, I hope so. Nope. Her body was put on display at the funeral home for people to come and gawk at. Oh, bless her. They were charged for the privilege too. Guess how many people went to see her? In fact, you oh. won't guess, so I'll just tell you. Yes. Hundreds of thousands. 6,800 people came to look That's at weird. her. That's weird. Schools were finishing early to go and take the kids to see her. <gasps> the children. Fucking no. mental. They did love a good gawk at stuff, though, back then. Isn't this where when all the, what they used to call freak shows and stuff were still going on in the circus, or would that already stop by now? Uh, no, I imagine that would have been still going on. I love stuff like that, didn't I? Yeah. And, to be fair, the funeral parlour were a bit like, what the fuck do we do? Because, obviously, they've never had this happen. Like, a body be returned for the third fucking time to the funeral parlour. And what do they do with a dead body? You know, that they are, back then, they were displayed so that loved ones could come and see the body. So, yeah, but you didn't have to pay for it. Exactly. And that's where that that theory kind of doesn't hold together because they were charging people. Yeah, they were charging. They were just, they saw an opportunity and they went for it and then they got a load of money for it. Just pigs. Yeah. Awful. The media, of course, was loving every second of this. But instead of calling Carl out for being outrageously macabre, they painted the picture of a devastated romantic that couldn't let go of his beloved. Now, you've got to keep in mind that Elena never loved Carl. Well, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. (laughs) But she never loved him. (laughs) And she didn't even really like him. So there was nothing romantic about any of this. And yet, tons of people supported him and felt sorry for him. And he became somewhat of a celebrity. Mate, he's the ultimate stalker. To get away from the attention, he moved again near to his actual wife, who surprisingly was still quite supportive of Carl. Oh, for fuck's sake. Has this man got a massive penis? (laughs) Oh, I do not want to think about yeah, how... But why are people supporting him? So we know that he buys people's cars. Like, he sounds like he's a bit of a manipulator, though. Maybe he threatens people or manipulates people. Because it sounds like that's what he did with, his, with her parents. He knew how to exploit them and take advantage of them to see their daughter and then give them money so that he could sleep in their daughter's bed. I just think he knew how to control people. No? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. 
So as a final act of spite, he made a time bomb that he placed in the mausoleum. It went off around 1am, and by then, of course, Carl was long gone. Now, I take this as him putting a middle finger up at the justice system. You accused me of destroying a grave. I'll show you how to destroy a grave. What a twat. But his obsession with Elena was not over. Her body had been cut up into pieces and placed in an unmarked grave to stop him ever taking her again. The people who buried her swore never to reveal her whereabouts and they took that secret with them to the grave. Good. Carl had no way of retrieving her, so he made himself a life-size doll. Fuck off. (laughs) Will someone just section him already? This is not okay. He used death masks that he had made whilst he had been in possession of her body. So he basically made moulds of her face. Oh my God. It's horrible. And that is how he would live out the rest of his life. Alone, except for the doll. Unemployed, as a hospital had fired him many years ago for stealing equipment and just generally being a fucking weirdo. And not a doctor. And, yes, probably not a doctor. And when he finally died in 1952 at the age of 75, his body was not discovered for several weeks. Quite ironic that the guy who had spent so many years trying to stop a body from decomposing had his own body left to rot into the floor. Good. Now, earlier, I mentioned that he had tampered with her body in other ways. I shall now tell you how. The doctors who performed the autopsy, Doctor... (laughs) Oh, no. What? (laughs) Doctor (laughs) DePoof. Doctor what? (laughs) Doctor Poo face? Doctor Poo? (laughs) (laughs) You're so mature. (laughs) Along with Doctor (laughs) Dewey. Right, right. Doctor Poo, a Doctor Fouracre. Got married and they were four acre poo. <laughs> oh dear. Disclosed in 1972 that there had been a vaginal tube inserted into Elena's corpse to allow intercourse. It had cotton at the back of the tube, and upon examining the cotton, it did indeed have semen on it. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Tash, you still with us, babe? I mean, I don't want to be. <laughs> Imagine having to be the one to fish out the Kleenex and be like, yes, this is used. They said that they did not say anything at the time as they thought the family would find these details to be too disturbing. So... I get that. So Yeah, but do you not think they could have like gone after him a little bit more for abuse of a corpse? I don't know. They didn't, anyway. So yeah, this only came out in nineteen seventy two, so it's like twenty years after he died. <sighs> yeah. 
Oh, it so annoys me when they don't get what's coming to them and they just die peacefully on the floor. There is an interesting twist to the end of this story. In 1982, there was an article written saying that during some renovation work on the beach hut that he'd once lived in, they found a confession note supposedly written by Carl. Yeah. It read, She died because I gave this to her mercifully. I gave her the root of wolfsbane with aconite diluted. It was palatable and my beloved one departed this miserable world on October 25th, 1931. Suffer no more, sweet Elena. I have sent you to the angels with my golden elixir. Oh, my golden elixir. Fucking perv. Another person claimed that Tanzler had said to him that he would kill her if necessary to fulfill his destiny. So did Elena really die of tuberculosis? I mean, she was going to die of tuberculosis. She definitely had it. But is that why she died? Or did it, Carl, end her suffering mercifully? Or was she not dying quick enough for his liking as he had already hatched this plan to own her body in death as she would not have him in life? <sighs> I, just, I don't know. I don't I know, if, don't he, know. if he thought he was going to do that. I think he probably would have tried to build this grave thing a little bit quicker, be a bit more organised. I suppose, and he did take two years before taking her away from the mausoleum although yeah. fuck knows what he was doing every night in the mausoleum with her yeah you know god knows so yeah so that's my story about carl tanzler or count von kossel and that poor poor lady poor elena awful such a short it's fucking gross life yeah i'm not impressed <laughs> didn't you like that one tash well no i don't like the story no I've just sent you some more pics. Why? <laughs> well, I've sent him holding the death mask, her mausoleum. Oh, oh, is that what that is? And the beach hut. Wait, li- he, he makes me want to gag. <laughs> he makes... He's so awful. He is disgusting. He's a piece of shit, mate. Yeah. <laughs> what a fucking weirdo. I've just sent the plane. <laughs> it's like a cannon. <laughs> oh. oh my god. <laughs> what is that? That's not even a plane. Yeah. I mean, if he thought those wheels were going to go on water, he's very deluded about how air travel works. Yeah. Excuse me. He's got nine degrees, all right? <laughs> yeah. And an uh. island. Don't forget the other castle. So yeah, there you go. Sleep well with that one. I've yeah. had to work on that. Do you remember me saying I need a break from this because this is fucking disgusting? Yeah, yeah. That was when he was lifting a coffin and he got juice on him. I was just like, mm, juice. Uh, I can't take much more of this. Well, thanks for that. I guess. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'm glad I now know the full story, but I'm glad I'm probably going to forget it pretty quickly because I always forget everything. But then again, I always I always seem to remember your stories more than mine. <laughs> there is no way in hell I'm forgetting that story ever again. That now lives permanently in my brain that some guy had a corpse living with him for seven years. 
That's horrific. Horrific. Have you got a story to cheer us up, Bex? Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) But I shall tell it anyway. That's what we're here for. Yes. My story this week is a bit of a mystery. It's a mystery. Mystery. Oh no, is it an unsolved one? It's a mystery. Well, it's, um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You'll see anyway. Like, it's one of those... Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but maybe it was this other thing or this other thing. You decide. I'll get into it and you'll see. Okay. So this, uh, I'll say my sources again uh, at the beginning so I don't forget. So my sources were Wikipedia as per the norm, Unsolved Mysteries and a site called allthatsinteresting.com. And then a few news articles here and there, but those were my three main sources. Right, so this story centres around a woman called Cindy. Cindy was born Cynthia Elizabeth Hack on June 12th, 1944 in British Columbia. Her father, Otto, was a retired Canadian Air Force colonel, while her mother, Tilly, was a housewife and a loving mother of six children. Busy lady. Yeah. After high school, Cindy enrolled in a nursing school there she met Roy Makepeace. That's a nice surname. Yeah, Makepeace, not war. He was a physician, nearly 20 years her senior. Ah, but did he have nine degrees? <laughs> and a plane. And an he island. Was just a physician, I'm afraid. And he didn't have an island or a plane that can land on water. And I believe that plane can land on water. <laughs> so cindy graduated in 1966 and she and roy wed five months after they met cindy seemed to be living a happy life working at a treatment center for children with emotional and behavioral issues when cindy and roy split in 1982 however her dream life became a nightmare So they split, she moves out, she has her own house. On October 7th, 1982, Cindy started to receive strange phone calls. Oh God, no, no, they're fucking worse. Ah. Were they heavy breathing? It started that way, and whispers. Oh no, no. whispers, fuck off. Yeah. So while most phone calls consisted of mere whispers of her name... Uh, and then breathing. Nope. But like when they whispered her name, it wasn't like Cindy. It was like Cindy, in like Ooh. a nasty, like an angry, whispery voice. No, and very creepy as well. Mm-mm. So obviously, Cindy is pretty freaked out. Understandable. This was in the at night as well. So she looked out of her window, like pressed her face against the glass. And couldn't see anyone out there, so she went round and closed all of her blinds. She pressed her face up against the glass. Well, she looked, you know, when you put cup your hands around your face so you can have a look outside. <laughs> I just had a picture of her with a little piggy nose. <laughs> all squashed. Just like smush. <laughs> oh, God. In Oh, no, I would not be looking outside. If, oh, no. No. I'd be scared if I turned the light off to look outside that 
I'd just see a figure there and I'd just poop. <laughs> like a face staring <laughs> back at you. No, thank you. No, thank you. So she goes around, close all of her blinds, make sure all of her windows and doors are secure, only for the caller to ring back and tell her that there was no use in hiding and that he knew that she was in the living room. Oh, this sounds like fucking Scream. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't she called Cindy? What are they called in Scream? Is it Cindy? Mm. I don't know. Or is Cindy the scary movie piss take yeah, version of maybe. it? Yeah, maybe. Possibly. So, obviously very freaked out by this, she calls the police. Good. Police come over. And they take a look around and they couldn't see any signs of a, an attempted break-in. And they um, said that they'd come by again in a few minutes, like patrol the area a little bit. But they suggested that hopefully it's just a prank call or... Anyway, for her to change her number and get an unlisted number. Yeah. And it also helps avoid all these types of weirdo calls. So she does, but the calls eventually continued and they became more and more frequent. So she changes her number and still, she's still getting the calls. Yes, yeah, it stops for a while and then whoever it is finds their, her number again Ooh. and starts calling. It's obviously her. someone that knows her, isn't it? And then things were about to escalate. Over the next two weeks, she received a threatening message pieced together with cut-out letters from magazines. That read, soon Cindy. What the fuck? Yeah. Don't like it, Becky. And then someone had cut her telephone line as well. No. Yeah. One night, Cindy went out for a meal with one of her oldest friends, Agnes. And then when they came back to Cindy's house, as they were walking up to the house, they both had a weird feeling. And they walked up the house. The house was completely black. Everything's turned off. As they got closer to the front door, they saw that someone had thrown rocks through her window and smashed her porch lights. They tried the door to see that it was already unlocked. So cautiously, they go into the house and see feathers on the floor. What the fuck? Weird. So they follow the, like a trail of feathers and they go all the way to Cindy's bedroom. And when they go in, they saw that someone had slashed and ripped open all of her pillows and thrown through the feathers everywhere i mean that wasn't what i was expecting yeah it could have been worse i was expecting a chicken at first or something like that. yeah me too and like blood smeared yeah everywhere. and then they also saw on the bedside table a copy of her house key mm. so whoever had broken in had left their copy of the house key just like hey look boom got your house key right. so presumably he hasn't just got the one i yeah Right, it looks like that to me. Why would you mm. give it back? They called the police and, uh, well, the police had a look around. They couldn't see any footprints or anything. And they said that obviously she needs to change her locks just to make sure because this person could have a, an extra key again. They'll keep an eye out for any suspicious activity, but because there was no witnesses, there's not really much they can do. Nothing was stolen either. Mm. And then from that, Cindy was quite frequently in contact with the police as she was receiving more and more threatening notes like on her doorstep and stuff and it got to the point where it was threatening enough that the police actually opened a bigger investigation into what what the hell was going on at last because whoever this was wasn't letting up because the police were 
coming in and out all the time. Cindy struck up a romantic relationship with Officer Pat McBride, uh, who was investigating what was going on. And he moved in with her in November 1982. But he was still on the case. I just really think that's weird. It's not appropriate, is it? No, it isn't. Even when Pat was there, they were getting threatening notes still. And then soon after, well, McBride moved in, he said that he came across Cindy's ex-husband, Roy, in the alley behind her house. And he had two guns. But Roy would tell McBride that he was just patrolling the area because Cindy had said to him that she was scared and that someone was basically stalking her. That's why he was there, which was a bit suspicious. But I assume they looked into him a little bit more. Mm, you thought so, wouldn't you? Yeah. One day they woke up and the phone line was cut. Oh, no. Again. When they were trying to find out what was wrong with the phone, he like went down the wire and he could see that there were wire cutters laying on the ground. This is... Ugh. I don't know why this, I found this part one of the worst bits. Cindy, again with the notes, instead of having just notes left on her doorstep, she actually started getting raw meat left on her doorstep. Oh, no. And I just find that so... Ugh. That's terrifying. And then also fo- photos of murdered people oh. left there. Okay. That's yeah. even worse. Uh, so, like, known photos of murdered people or people that this guy had murdered. I don't know. I couldn't find any more information. So I don't know if it was just pictures that they cut out from the paper or somewhere else. I don't know where you'd get pictures like that in the 80s. So do you think these were his victims? I don't know. I couldn't find much more information on that bit. Highly unpleasant either way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if they were actors pretending to be dead, absolutely terrifying. What happened to, like, uh, the anonymous bouquet of flowers? What happened to that? That's nice. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's not send raw meat and murder victims. Not nice. Cindy, obviously, every time something like this would happen, she'd call the police, tell McBride. But she didn't feel that they were taking her seriously. She was ringing them and nothing was being done. They keep saying, oh, there's no one. We haven't got any suspects. So frustrated with the lack of support and help from her boyfriend, she basically chucked him out. So he'd only lived there for a month. But after he moved out, the mysterious like harassment of her became a lot more menacing. So it escalated again. One night... Agnes dropped by Cindy's house for a visit, knocked on the door, no answer. So she assumed she was taking a bath or something. Right. So she was going to go around the side door and knock there just in case. And then just as she came down the side of the house, she saw Cindy crouched down on the floor with a nylon stocking tied tightly around her neck. She said that she'd gone out to get something out of a garden shed and someone had grabbed her from behind. She says all she saw that they they were wearing white sneakers. Then she felt the nylon stocking like being put round her neck and choking her. And the man that said that if she tried to look at him, that he would kill her family. And he mentioned her sister by name. Fuck Fuck me. 
I don't know if she passed out or started to pass out, and that's when Agnes turned up, and then the person fled, but she didn't see anything. She was, like, passing out. In January 1983, Cindy decided enough was enough, and she was going to get the hell out of that house. So she moved to a different town called Richmond. She also painted her car a different colour and changed her last name to James. Sounds like she's being very sensible. Yeah. So she's doing like everything she can to get away, avoid this person finding her again. He's gonna though, isn't he? So for months, she didn't see or hear from her stalker until October of that year. She found a dead cat on her property with a note saying, you're next. Oh, for God's sake. Either kill her or don't. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> All right, Tash. <laughs> Get on with it. <laughs> I mean, he's just terrorising her. And also, leave the cat alone. This has got nothing to do with the cat. Yeah, absolutely. Innocent party. So she went to the police with this. The police in this area, anyway, so it's a different police station. They actually took her seriously. It's a good start. And decided that they would um, have someone, like, surveying the house. So right. when she... She also decided to hire a private investigator, a guy called Ozzy Caban. Fantastic name. Awesome name. The police continued their investigation and like questioned her several times. And then she mentioned about the previous problems she'd been having in the town before. Ozzy, the private investigator, went straight into her house and installed floodlights all around the property. So the minute anyone comes up to the property they all turn on yeah that's a good idea Fantastic. yeah he also installed a panic button and a two-way radio so he could hear what was going on in her property all the time which she agreed with she wanted that yeah. because she felt really really unsafe yeah one night ozzy heard strange noises coming over the radio uh like almost as if she was in like a there's a struggle or something. She could hear, he could hear weird noises and banging around. He decides to go straight to her house. He knew he can feel that there's something wrong. And he found that the, the house was locked. So he looked through a window and he could see her lying on the floor and there was blood on the floor and he could see that there was a, a knife stabbed through her hand mm. with a note on there saying Cindy's dead. So whoever had attacked her this time had stabbed her through the hand, stabbed this note into her hand and then into the floor. Ugh. So completely gone through her hand and she was drugged and she wasn't conscious when this happened. So she was taken to hospital. So not dead. No, no, she was, she was okay. Well, okay. She was shaken up, but she was alive. So she said that she remembers someone grabbing her from behind and like a needle prick in going into her arm. Like her, she could remember being stuck by a needle and then everything going a bit dark and floppy. And then she woke up in the hospital. Police thought that they might have possibly had a suspect, someone that Cindy had mentioned seeing quite a few times. And sometimes they were accompanied by one or two other people. But none of the fingerprint, what they got from any of the scene, didn't match this person at all. And they had an alibi for that night. So they ruled this guy out. Once she got out of hospital, the police said that they would put almost 24 hours surveillance on her house. 
because they need to catch this person. The threatening phone calls continued, but they were always too short to trace. Once the police started watching the house, there were no more phone calls for that time. And then sometimes the the surveillance was on for days, days on end with up to 14 officers around the house. But then once the surveillance was away, once they went home or there was a gap in surveillance, that's when things that would happen. So he's watching. Yeah. Eventually, the officers became skeptical of the harassment. Her parents, Cindy's parents, believed that whoever the attacker was was doing this on purpose and was watching the house and were trying to make Cindy look crazy. I mean, the girl had a knife through her hand, man. Mm. One day, she was found dazed and semi-conscious, lying in a ditch six miles from her home. She was wearing a man's work boot and glove and was suffering from hypothermia. Cuts and bruises covered her body. A black nylon stocking had been tightly tied around her neck and she had no memory of what happened. What the fuck is going on? This poor woman. Can you imagine? So her friend, Agnes Woodcock, and her husband, Tom, decided they were going to come and stay with her and help her because they they were just fed up of seeing their friend in a state and getting attacked all the time, and the police now not doing much about it. Also, bravo to us for not laughing at Woodcock. Yeah. (laughs) It's a good, strong name. Very mature of us. How much wood does a woodcock chop? So anyway, so Tom and Agnes stayed with Cindy. One night, Cindy came running into their room saying that she's heard noises in the house. So they all went to investigate together, which is very good. Not like on all the horror films, like, oh, let's split up into ones. Never split up. They all stayed in a group together. Yeah. So they went around the house and they could see that there was smoke coming up from the basement. Mm -mm. And they went down to have a look and it was on fire. So they come upstairs to ring their fire brigade and the phone line had been cut again. She's not having much luck with her phone line, is she? No. I think I would probably say that it's someone from the fucking telephone company. If they keep cutting the phone line so they get to come back all the time. So Tom left the residence to alert the neighbours. So he went running outside and he saw a man standing, looking up at the property, just in the street. And he shouted out to the man and said, please call the fire department, we've got a fire here. And instead of doing so, he just kind of ran off down the street. Mm. I mean, I know that there was no mobiles then, but he just didn't say anything and ran off. And then... He was never identified. No one could say who that man was. Suspicious. Very suspicious. suspicious. The police suspected that Cindy had staged the incident. Oh, fuck's sake. The reason why they think that is because there was no sign of a break-in. Because he's got keys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot. I know it's a different house, but he's I know he's got- changed, but yeah, but he's got it once. He could easily get it again. Exactly. They're saying this because there was no sign of a break-in. The fire was set inside the home, and in order to get to that part of the house, it was thought that the perpetrator would have had to have climbed through a specific window. And they found no dust disturbed or fingerprints around that that window at all, or on the outside of the windowsill. It was also considered odd that Cindy wasn't acting like a victim, 
which is super problematic for many reasons because not everyone acts the same. I was going to say, how does a victim act? Yeah, how we're supposed to act. Exactly. What they're saying is Cindy was like carefree, like walking a dog, doing stuff, going out by herself, not acting scared. Okay, that's right. That's weird. It is a little bit weird, but I also think, well, she's kind of had to live with this for a long time now. You probably do become used to it somewhat, don't you? A little bit used to it, yeah. And the dog does need a poo. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Cindy got very depressed with the lack of help that she was getting from the police and the fact that they were just saying that she's making it all up. Her depression got so bad that she was eventually committed to her local psychiatric ward, believing that she was becoming suicidal well at least she might be safe in there for a bit yeah she was treated there for around 10 weeks and then she left the hospital after she was released she admitted to her father otto that she knew more than what she was letting on Mm. to the police and she thinks she knows who her attacker is but she wants to go after the perpetrator herself Her father warned her not to do this, even though the police have been not particularly useful recently, that she needs to contact the police and say that this is who she thinks is attacking her. Yeah. But she says that she didn't want to because he's already made threats to her family. But anyway, she she would eventually listen to her father and she'd go to the police and said that she thinks it's her um, ex-husband, Roy, doing all this, as that's when it started. He completely denies it and said that he also was a victim of the stalker what and he actually had a message from the stalker on his answer phone that he'd kept and also roy has pretty solid alibis with work and his friends and lots of people that could vouch for him i know that a lot of it was on the phone but his phone records check out that. So if it was him, it wasn't doing it from his phones. Mm. That brings us to the 25th of May, 1989. So six years and seven months after the first threatening phone call, Cindy disappeared. On the same day she disappeared, her car was found in a neighborhood parking lot. Inside were groceries and a wrapped gift. There was blood on the driver's side door. Items from her wallet were under the car. So not in the car, Mm. under it, as if she'd been taken while she was trying to get out of the car or taken from the car. Yeah. No trace of Cindy anywhere. Oh, man. I mean, her parents reported her missing straight away. Yeah, yeah. Like the same day. Two weeks later, a construction worker was at a site and decided that he needed a wee. So he decided to walk away from the building site towards an abandoned house. As he was walking towards the house, he came across an awful smell. Oh, God. A smell that you don't forget. Mm-hmm. On his way back to the building site after relieving himself, he said that he could see something by the side of the house. He thought it was weird, so he goes and have a look. And it became apparent that it was a clearly deceased woman. To him, it looked like she'd been brutally murdered. Her hands and feet were bound together behind her back. A black nylon stocking was tied around her neck. Yet an autopsy revealed that she had died from an overdose of morphine and other drugs. Mm. Police brought in a not expert and said that that Cindy could have tied herself in that position. Oh my God. (laughs) When he said a not expert, I was thinking... 
why aren't they bringing in an expert? Why are they bringing in a not expert? <laughs> yeah. A not K-N-O-T. Yes, yes, I'm with you now, I'm with yes. you now. Yeah. Um, an expert on knots. <laughs> I bet Carl was an expert on knots. Oh, yeah. I bet he had a degree in it. <laughs> I bet he did. And this person, the, the knot expert, said that Cindy could actually quite easily have tied herself in that position. Police concluded that they think it was self-inflicted what? and that she had committed suicide. What the fuck? Or wanted to make herself look like she'd been murdered. The medical examiner, however, disagreed and said that she had an injection in her, in her arm, yeah, that she could have done herself. But the high dosage of drugs in her system meant that she would have had to have tied herself up really quickly before she would have died because it would have hit pretty quickly. And there was no needle next to her body or in the surrounding area. They never found it. Okay, well, that is, th- there you go. That's, yeah. that's not her yeah. then. And if she had injected herself for the other side of the field or somewhere else and then walked there, her feet would have been dirty and she had clean feet. Yeah. So these are the, these are the different theories. So the police thinks it's her because I didn't mention earlier, but the f- first town that she lived in, the police eventually got very suspicious of her because everything that happened only happened when she was up by herself. Uh, no one ever witnessed anything right at all but that just goes with somebody watching exactly it happens other people think that it was mcbride the policeman that she dated for a brief period because he would have known when uh, the house was being watched and when it wasn't being watched he was the one that said that he well he did see um cindy's ex-husband almost if he was trying to put blame on him and take it away from him that never really took off too much. And this is the, one of the interesting ones. Other people say that it was DID, so Dissociative Identity Disorder. It's like split personalities, isn't it? Yeah. You get a lot of people on TikTok pretending that they have it, but it's actually very rare. Some people do have it. It's a real disorder. Yeah. So they think that one of her personalities was the one that was doing all the weird stuff and wanted to kill the main character, you know, like the main person, which was Cindy. Yeah. yeah. And which would explain why Cindy was so scared and why sometimes she was kind of acting, in quotes, not victim-like, because, again, she was another person, a person that knew nothing about what Cindy was going through with all these phone calls and stuff. Oh, I see. Or it could have even been like the psychopath Cindy walking the dog, like... Yeah, that as well. And the fact that it's phone calls is this other identity was coming for, like, I don't know how they do it, like swapping over into the the forward part of the brain. And like, um, she's thinking that someone's on the other end of the phone, but there's no one there. Yeah, it's in her head. And she's hearing everything. Well, that's interesting. So that's also a theory. But her ex, he was in the medical field and he had never, in the time that they were together, never seen present any symptoms of that. Mm. I was going to say, if it had been that, at some point, somebody would have picked up on something. Yeah, and then when she was in the hospital for those 10 weeks, no one picked up on it either. Yeah, so probably But then again, this was the 80s and was it something that, you know, 
was everywhere, you know, not was everywhere, but was easily diagnosed. Mm. Cindy's father, Otto, believes that she wouldn't have been able to stage the scene herself, but others believe it was possible. And in Vancouver, the coroner ruled that her death was not a suicide, not an accident or a murder. They determined that she died of an unknown event. Well, that's helpful. Yeah, like closure-wise for her parents, that's there isn't any. Cindy's parents never doubted that their daughter was murdered, and Otto believes that the police did not investigate the possibility of homicide and instead they just zeroed in on trying to prove that she committed suicide. That's ridiculous. So they believe that someone in Vancouver is getting away with murder. Wow. And that's it. But that can't be it. That's it. No, they never officially put down a reason of what what happened. I mean, I feel sorry for Cindy. Whatever really happened... Mm. And that's uh, that's about it. That's weird as hell. What do you think, Tash? I think the split personality thing. Do you? Yeah, I think she. I think she. I don't know. It's it's hard. That or the police officer boyfriend. Hold on, I want to see if I can play the voicemail to you. It's the voice that sounds very suspicious to me. It sounds like a woman. Who was this voicemail sent to? Her ex-husband. This was sent to the husband. Yeah, the ex-husband. Whereas uh, Cindy never had anything recorded. On the recording, it says, Cindy dead, meet soon. Oh, that's creepy. Don't like that. That sounds like Gollum. <laughs> <laughs> Nasty hobbitses. Well, that's put doubt in my mind now. Mm. I don't know. But uh, it's very freaky. And uh... Well, the point is, ladies, we'll never know. But I need to know what happened. And also, God, imagine that. Imagine having, like, split personality where one wanted to kill you. It must happen, though, mustn't it? I've no idea. Fucking hell. Scary shit, man. But what if it was someone and they've just got off scot-free? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, to me, it, it just seems like she was having some sort of mental problem. But I can also see it completely being the someone like the police officer, completely taking advantage of the of you know his knowledge of what's going on in uh, in the investigation and uh, exploiting it and uh, making her seem crazy. Whoever's left that message is fucked up in the head because that's not normal. Oh, I agree. Mm. They're fucked up. Well, thanks, Bex, for the... Nightmares. Nightmares. God, imagine if my phone rang now. Creepy. No, thank you. (laughs) No, thank you. Yeah. Seven days. Oh, don't do that. (laughs) Emma. Stop it. Take off your... What are you wearing? Are you all right? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was trying to be a pervert, but I sounded a bit, a bit like a, a pervert with not much confidence. <laughs> Didn't really know what to say. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Anyway, so sorry for the for the downer as per usual. There's not much in murder that's very happy. No. Yeah, that was a weird one, Bex. And yeah, poor girl. Whatever happened to her? Very sad. And wasn't there another killer around that same time that used to tie people's stockings around their necks? Oh, probably. It was the 80s, full of fucking serial killers. 
I'm sure that was like one of their MOs was stockings around their necks. Anyway, I don't know who that is, so I could be completely talking out of my ass, but I'm pretty sure there is. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was more than one that did that. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, that's Creepy the story shit, of uh, Cindy Hack and her unsolved death. Well, thank you. Rest in peace, Cindy. Yeah, bless her. Anyway, shall we wrap it up? Yeah. Let's. Well, you can catch us at all our regular social media outlets, Instagram, Tinder. Uh, <laughs> TikTok, and Twitter at SCSK underscore podcast. Yeah. You can send us an email at chillers.killers.pod at gmail.com. If you've got any ghost stories, murder stories, anything interesting, we'd love to hear from you. Yep. Anything weird and wonderful, we're down. Mm. And we're on Facebook, just under Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. So yeah, we would love to have you. And if you've enjoyed tonight's episode, could you please leave us a little review and uh, a rating? And if you haven't enjoyed it, well, don't. (laughs) (laughs) Don't bother then. All right. Please refrain. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, okay, ladies. So see you next week. Uh, Stay safe. Don't steal people's bodies and keep them as your corpse bride and (laughs) you stole my line i was gonna say (laughs) don't rape corpses yeah please don't do that don't kill people and keep it weird Bye. bye